Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to 007 by 7 the podcast where we are investigating the James Bond films seven minutes at a time. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at minutes 63 to 70, which begin with Bond receiving the go-ahead cable from M and end with Kareem knocking on the door to Bond's railway suite. In between, they pull a heist in the Russian consulate to get the lector, escape into the rat-infested sewers, and wind up on the Orient Express where Bond and Tanya experience some romantic quality time in a private compartment. And today we have as our guests uh, returning champions from the Comedy Film Funnel podcast, uh, Susan Tekla Kriglinska and Joe Dater. Uh, welcome back, guys. Hey. Thank you. Thank you for having us back. We are returning champions. You are. We you won. Get, we took home the jackpot. Absolutely. Uh, uh, blew those other losers out of the water. <laughs> I don't even remember who those losers are. You guys, nope, you guys nobody them. remembers. Yeah, yeah. They're just they're just footnotes in history. <laughs> and Joe, you're not wearing a tux this time. I know you did on Doctor No, and I can only assume that's because this is one of the three James Bond movies where Bond does not wear a tuxedo. That was exactly my intention. <laughs> I thought so. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't want to throw you. <laughs> he's he's here to discuss a different James Bond movie. <laughs> Like uh, the James Bond, James Bond goes to his brother's wedding. You know, that was one, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. Now he goes well, to Felix's wedding. He goes to Felix Leiter's. Oh, that's right. He does. He does go to Felix's wedding. Right. Yeah. His brother's in the service. <laughs> License to kill. He goes to his wedding. Later that night, Felix's legs get chewed off by a shark. I believe. Anyway, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> if, if I've ever heard one. For your for your wedding night, what? <laughs> As you guys know, I am kind of a casual James Bond fan, so mm -hmm. I'm a little I'm I'm a little in the weeds with uh, like what James Bond what happens in which James Bond movie. So right. I can't right. I can't always be sure. And I will say that uh, from Russia with Love, I saw for the first time less than 24 hours ago. Wow! Wow! Yes, I had never seen it. I had never got around to it. And I uh, I watched it, and so well, that happened. So that what happened. did you think? I gotta say, little little bit of a letdown. It was a little disappointing. I kind of expected a bit more. I mean, it had all the hallmarks of of James Bond. It had it had the uh, the 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 globe trotting. It had the the racism. It had the casual. <laughs> It had the casual misogyny. It had everything. Casual? That's casual? You think that's casual? <laughs> yeah, that's casual. That's had, very casual. It was, yeah, very, very um, <laughs> unheralded, unceremonious misogyny. Just, uh, you know, as if it's uh, every day, which I guess it was. Um, and it had, all, it had all of those things. But I expected a bit more. I mean, it kind of, I was a bit bored up until the, the, uh, the big fight scene on the train with, uh, with Quint. Uh, that's when I was like, "Oh, this is a James Bond movie, man." You know, at that point, it seemed like a a bit uh, a bit sparse on the action, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it fair. starts with yeah, it starts with this this confusing scene where where I guess they're they're training Quint to kill James Bond, and the, they have to train him by putting a guy in a James Bond mask, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as yeah. if he's a chimpanzee. He's not going to know. <laughs> <laughs> Your target is a man about six feet tall. Just go. Just let's just kill that guy. Pretend he's James Bond. No, you have to put him in a perfect latex mask so that he thinks it's really James Bond. Is he a moron? What is he? I mean, how? I don't. I was very confused by that. So that, and that got me off on a, on a bizarre first... sort of a foot. Yeah. So yeah. is that the first time anyone ever tore their face off for a big reveal like that? Like, if you think about it, so we're used to that. Like, we all grew up, you know, Scooby Doo and all that stuff. 
But I wonder, there has to be a first time that happened. It's not a, it's something you'd see in the literature. It's not something you'd see in other art forms. It's really a TV or movie thing. And there has to be a first time. And I wonder if that's the first time that was ever done. You know, I don't know. It sounds like an, it could have been an Abbott and Costello something at some point. That's if true. If it would have happened true. anywhere before Bond. The, the rubber mask was played by the real actor. It was Sean Connery, <laughs> but he's really, the. we find out later, the guy in the rubber mask. Um I was thinking maybe it's for the benefit of all the spectators, all the sort of, you know, maybe they're skeptical of like, well, I don't know if this guy can kill James Bond or not. And they're like, well, this is what it would look like if he was mm-hmm. killing James Bond for real. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have the mask, all those people would be, wait a minute, he's killing some other guy. That's, he can't kill James. I'm feeling these guys have already covered this territory because they've already done that minute. You know, I will say the concept <laughs> of the spectators I, we didn't talk about the possibility that they thought it was James Bond. Up in, like, what if they were the ones that the mask was for? <laughs> so that they're make, like, hey, we got James Bond here. Inspector. Check it out. He's going to kill him. Now I'm glad I brought this yeah, up. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a gladi- gladiator kind of situation where they think, oh, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for bringing that up. But we do, we are, but we, anyway, I did see the, the, the movie for the first time last night. And it, and. And I will say, by the end, I was like, well, I certainly saw a James Bond movie. <laughs> I I had completely forgotten it. I mean, I know I've seen it, but I'd, you know, it was like it was new. So, you know, and, and I thought it, I actually liked it. I mean, you know, it was obviously things about it I didn't like. But I think it was, it had enough, like, nice detail. The kitty cat, the fishes, the, you know, like, the stupid little details were well done. And the, the, the photography is amazing. Just amazing, you know. So, it, 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 I, th- I thought it was... Uh, you know, it, it's one of the. I think it's one of the stronger, stronger ones, actually. Yeah, I probably I probably like it better on second viewing. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I, I definitely like it better now than I used to. And I will say, you know, to your point, Joe, um, I, one of my notes for today was, thankfully, we're finally getting to the train. Like to me, it's not that I had a problem with the movie up to now, but I get excited when they get to the train in this movie. It's like this whole new uh, direction that the movie's going. I like the setting of trains, like I'm a giant fan of The Lady Vanishes and North by Northwest, and I guess it's all Hitchcock movies I'm talking about. But uh, train movies are great. Uh, the television show Super Train, if anyone ever saw it. Uh, we haven't talked about that in many years. <laughs> Not even that, just a train. That was a super train. It was a super train, which I <laughs> believed. When I, <laughs> I believed when I was five years old that the train itself was sentient. I think I've, we've talked about this many years ago on the sh- on, on Alien Minute. I have examples in seventies TV. You had you had Wonder Bug and and you had uh, Rickety Rocket. You had a lot of sentient yeah, vehicles that was true. Superpowers. Yeah, right, Turbo yeah. Teen came. I think that came later, but um, your old Turbo Teen, yeah. I was a fan of Wonderbug on the Crop Super Show. So when you said to me there's going to be a super train, I, I yeah. was right up my alley. <laughs> and it wasn't. It sure, it sure wasn't. So everybody can go find your show and hear about this and many other Wonderbugs. And... On Patreon, we have a whole puppet series. We're doing a puppet countdown that's taking like 20 years. So it's like <laughs> a mini multi-installment. Like we're covering every puppet you've ever wanted to think about. There's at least three segments where we mentioned the Croft Super Show. Yeah, it keeps coming. So we just did the in-laws, and you know who's in that? Senior Wences. Captain Wences. Right? And, and Senior Wences, well, right? Two senior Wences. Senior Wences and Captain Cole. Not Senior Wences, but just his puppet. Yeah, just, yeah, just Right. Yeah. right. Just Johnny, Johnny. But it's actually, uh, yeah, it's... The puppet uh, had a better. The puppet had a better agent. His hand had a better agent than he did, so his hand got movie roles. Well, I swear... I was thinking about Senior Wences when we were. I was watching these minutes. Am, what? Am I thinking about the wrong character? Well, there's that moment where it cuts to the floor, and they open the door, and Bond's heads right there. Is that Senior Wences or is that the the? It's all right. Yeah, that's Senior Wences. All right, is Pedro. That's Pedro. oh yeah, right, Pedro. It is Senior Wences. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Senior Wences. Senior is the puppeteer. Yeah. Right. So I was thinking about that when he opened that. I immediately my brain went, "All right, real quick." And you thought Senior Wences was just was just uh, lipstick and eyes on a hand. You don't know Senior Wences because clearly he, I did he not. He diversified. He had many different characters. Yeah. Joe, should you mention since we're talking about projects that everybody's up to? Do you want to talk about your book? Oh yeah. Well, my book is uh, inked. It's uh, inked is cartoons, confessions. I, I can't remember the name of it. I have it's cartoons, here, yeah. confessions, 
Rejected Ideas and Secret Sketches from the New Yorker's Joe Dater. And uh, it's a collection of my cartoons from the New Yorker. It's a collection of many of my cartoons that couldn't get into the New Yorker. And it's a bunch of cartoons that I wish could have uh, been seen by people, and now they can. And there's also a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes information about how those cartoons got created and what happened to them once they were created and why in the hell someone would want to create them in the first place. <laughs> and uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's got a lot going on in that book. And it's a whole lot of me. It's a get, it's, the book really was, should be called Get a Load of Me. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. It's really great. It's, it's a really great. It's great. Yeah, it's a great well, book. Well, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Um, so it officially comes out October 19th, but uh, you can pre-order it now from any place books are sold. And by the uh, time although, this is out, everybody will they will be on the shelves or yeah, flying yeah. off. Yeah, that's the true. Shelves, you you can other. find it in in your uh, in your book uh, your bookstores, um, right. or you could or you can pre-order it, um, and uh, some people already have theirs. So <laughs> very good. So. All right. Well, shall we jump into these minutes? Let's jump in. Jump I, in. Yeah, I, I want to. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's <laughs> we do can. We got good minutes. We got. We got good minutes. We got good minutes. You did. Not, you have good minutes. You have good minutes. Even just in the sense of how fast, here. how fast they go. Like how many? This is a lot of scenes in seven minutes. Yeah. I was kind of amazed at how how the pace really starts to accelerate. Well, at this at this point in the movie, even though it might have felt a little boring, it's getting less boring because <laughs> it's moving around a lot more. Yeah. It's a James Bond movie at this point. Did anybody think James Bond was superstitious at the, in this scene where he's received the cable, the go-ahead from M that we had talked about? Like, we're not sure why M has to approve this, but he's got the go-ahead, and uh, he seems suspicious or seems superstitious about having a, a hmm. having it happen on the thirteenth. Now, th- th- I was confused about that. I thought maybe he did that on purpose to throw her off he because did. Yeah. he did. But he's throwing the audience off, though. At that at this moment, we don't know. It seemed like he's trying to uh, circumvent her possible disloyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah, but like in this moment, doing. we don't know that because he says, all I have to do is tell the girl when the, when, the, when the mission's going off. So it's a misdirect on both the girl and on the audience. Yeah, right. That's what I, that's what I gathered. I guess it was, a, so, it was a way of just um, making it so that she can't warn someone else or whatever. And right. she's still working for... Specter or Russian right. or whatever. Now so we see when... him. Sorry, I was gonna say we see him in profile. Now, am I crazy? I remember watching Doctor No recently because you know rewatching it for you guys and thinking, oh my god, what a what a handsome man, what a handsome man. And in this one, it's like in one year, his face is so much more chiseled. Doesn't it look like he aged quite a bit in one year? I, is it me? Am I crazy? <laughs> I think he ages pretty fast through the whole decade. <laughs> it's like every movie is is a little bit more aged. Uh, yeah. By the time like he gets to Diamonds Forever, he's face. full on old man Sean Connery almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, w- I was struck by my feeling that he's not the handsomest guy in the movie. Yeah, in the last movie, I was just thinking every minute. I was like, I can't wait to see his face again. You know, like he's so handsome, it's ridiculous. And this one, I'm like, eh, I don't know, that's so <laughs> weird. One year, that's only yeah. one year. He has that kind of weird face. Is it I because guess. they groomed his eyebrows? Is that just does that just change everything? Is it a different toupee? I, 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 is it the is the are these, because, are... are these because they hired Robert Shaw? No, and that's <laughs> who, who, who I think is the handsomest guy in the movie. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> he's, that's he's understandable. Some, he looks amazing in this movie. He's beautiful. he's unrecognizable. Yeah, and I blows my mind that that's uh, twelve years before he played Quint in Jaws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. From nineteen, he, this was filmed in nineteen sixty-two. I guess. Uh, Doesn't use a hard was, miles. Jaws was filmed in nineteen sixty-four. Yeah, and he's, I mean, we're he's talking like about this, a, he's a Adonis. You know? A hell, of a hell of a lot of Bushmills between this and Jaws. Trust me. Understand? <laughs> he enjoyed a drink occasionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that could be it. It could be you know the the could be the hard living maybe you know. But that was that was him. But yeah, he's he's sort of amazing. Although apparently he was. Uh, he had to stand on an apple box in his scenes with Sean Connery because he was much shorter, but he seems much taller. He seems he does. He seems yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. He seems like a like a very large uh, guy, but I guess Connery was what six foot four, so he was very tall. Yeah, that was it. But you know, when he's standing next to Lottie Lenya, he seems much taller. But she's a tiny little German woman, so. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> She's not as tall as Sean Connery. No, no doubt. No, no, no. I uh, I noticed that uh, there was uh, a lot of um, the James Bond theme playing while uh, Bond is not doing anything that interesting. That's, that's and there's common. Yeah, <laughs> there's a thing where he pulls up in a taxi and gets out of a taxi, and the Bond theme. Goes, ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. <laughs> And I, and there's another one where he's like checking his hotel room for yeah, bugs. Yeah. But it was. There's a lot of that in this movie. It was movie. still and... new. It was still new, and it still it sounded amazing. You can imagine how amazing that sounded in '63, because it was like people weren't that familiar with. For us, it's so cliche. But back then, and it was such a beautiful, it really is a beautiful piece of music, you know? It really well, and with a beautiful piece of music, but he's getting, he's pulling it's, up in a taxi and getting out a thing I did yesterday. So there, so there, everybody there, can be James Bond, Joe. That's no, the point. Everybody can't that's, be that's James Bond. That's, no. There should be You're a rule to feel that like that it. theme, maybe they I changed love. this later, they, they added this rule, the James Bond theme should only play He's doing something that only James Bond can do. <laughs> I mean, the issue... Well, that's what it eventually became. But at this point, it's... I don't know. I I, it's like, here is James Bond. This is James Bond. This is James... You know, it's just pointing to him. It's your set. It's laying <laughs> the, the... lyrics. It's laying the... Here is James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind of. Uh. <laughs> it's... No, well, he's he's on his way. He's coming out of a taxi on his way to someone else, somewhere else. So it's just another scene where it's like, you know, he's reintroducing himself into the segment. I don't know. I think it kind of makes sense in an intuitive way. Kind of like manipulate people's perceptions, you know, like that experiment where they showed the guy with the blank expression and then they showed things he was looking at. It's like, yeah, like they'll show like just show him like, you know, a. Uh, uh, making coffee in the morning and play that theme and people in the audience will go ooh nobody could make coffee like that nobody could I, nobody could pour water into the pot like that my issue with this and i think i've said it before is that it's not scoring the moment it's not but here John, here there's it's, no vic flick there's no. there's just four fanfares or three fanfares each slightly less than the one before it and then the music segues into this two-note tick-tock of the clock. So when I saw it, I thought, well, John will be happy with this because there's no... You know, well, I don't, it's, just yeah. the, it's just the four things. I but appreciate I think, that. I but... think it's supposed to p- place in your mind that something big's going to happen, too. You know, kind of it kind of gives that little feeling like this is going to be a big scene. This is going to be a big Bond f- scene where he does something very dramatic and very James Bond. I think it is a little bit of a placing the, you know, um, priming. It's a priming. And what yes. we didn't see... Interestingly enough, if you look at the action reaction pattern of how movies work, is he says, Well, the only thing I need to do now is tell the girl when the date's gonna be and then it goes into that fanfare and he's getting out of a cab and he's walking into the <laughs> into the embassy and you're like, Wait, he didn't did I miss a scene where he was gonna tell her when the plan was gonna be? So they're already kind of foreshadowing this misdirect thing that's that's coming up. Right. So you don't know what day this is. No, you don't know so what Davis you, is. He might be going yeah. in to tell her right now when we're going to do this. We don't know. We're not sure what what the plan is. Which yeah. is kind of interesting yeah. that they've they've until we see Pedro Amandara's down in the catacombs with the <laughs> with the Bugs Bunny style uh, <laughs> uh, dynamite plunger. We don't know what the plan is. I don't know. I don't think I thought that he was going to the consulate to tell her about the okay. plan to take over the okay. to blow up the consulate. I. But you don't know what he's doing. I mean, I think already the because he asks the guy the time, and right. he's like the the Boris Badenov accent guy. Well, the guy yeah. walks on always <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah, but, like right. was such a cartoon character of a Russian. Right there. I don't know the scene. The last scene ended with him saying he's going to tell her what. I just need to tell her what day. I would have been annoyed had there been a scene where he tells her the day. Yeah. I mean, that would have been redundant. The whole point of it okay. was. I will now imply the scene that's coming after instead of showing it. I'll just say what right. day I'm going to tell her. Right. So as soon as so we, we cut to the next scene, her. we know he's told her. I already it, know he's which told Which is her. great, too. Yeah. It's a win-win. It's if, much better. If you're, not, yeah. if you're not thinking ahead like that, mm-hmm. it's still like, yeah, it's, it's moving the story ahead. It's not giving us what's obligatory. We're assuming that he did what he said he's going to do, which we'll find out he didn't do what he said he was going to do, which is interesting, right? No, he did do what he said he was going to do. He said he told her the 14th. He said he was going to tell her what day they were going to do it. No, he said specifically he the 14th. To, 
He lied to her. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't see him lie to her. No, we didn't. We don't find that out. That's what we we get the payoff of him saying a hell of a time to be superstitious when we thought he was superstitious, supposedly. Right? Yes. Uh There's a joke. That's right. If there was a scene where he says to her, like, write this down in your calendar. It's going to be the 14th. Yeah, just write it down. That would have been a very boring scene. It would have been bad storytelling. But... But it would have been accompanied by the James Bond theme. <laughs> You're right. But it would have been. He would have done this very <laughs> ordinary thing. As he was dialing. Yeah, right. And how obnoxious is it that his little quippy quip, quip, you know, or his pithy little quip is, you know, it's a hell of a time to be superstitious to her. You know, I mean, like, I mean, right. it sort of, it's, After, it's a very, it's a little it's nonsensical, but it's for us. It's yeah, for it's us. for the audience, not, right? Yeah, it's not for her. But so, so when he walks into that, embassy i noticed that there's three photographs on the wall and i'm trying to figure out who they all are the first one Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure is brezhnev the second one above the stairs i cannot figure out who that is and then when he goes to check his watch behind him is clearly yuri gagarin the cosmonaut okay what does the guy say to him so he goes and gets the visa application or whatever it is the guy hands him he walks off we get the picture of of i'm sorry uh, of gagarin Right. Doesn't somebody tell him? I, I swear that somebody goes, that's Gergarin. I swear, what is this, what is said right there? Because he says something. Somebody says something to somebody. I'm probably totally off, but it, I thought it was like, my mind went like, man, they were so proud of Gergarin back then. They just told everybody. Oh, yeah, go over and stand by our picture of Yuri Gergarin, the first man into space. Oh, right over there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm totally off, but somebody says something right there. Maybe it was just background mumbling. I don't know, but... Um, so the plan starts to come into focus. We see the clock's three o'clock. Bond checks his his watch. We see Kareem checking his watch down below with the plunger, right? So I'm starting to understand that somebody's going to blow something up. We have a pause where we find out the Russian clocks are always on time. Always correct. And then we get the explosion, which is basically a couple of special effects explosions. Something falls off the wall. And somebody shakes the camera. Shaking like camera. That was the main thing. The main thing is a shaking camera. Like if without yeah. the shaking camera, you'd have nothing. Yet. And then all, all hell breaks. People are freaking out. There's an old couple in the back on a bench and they freak it. They're freaking out. <laughs> freaking well, and I, I like this. They... James, James Bond is perfectly calm because he knew there was going to be an explosion. I know he's the first guy you'd tackle. Like, why wouldn't you tackle him? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's so obvious. What time is it? What time is it? He still was at a building where a bomb went off. Yeah, right. It was not suspicious at all that he was <laughs> asking the time. suspicious at all. Continually. <laughs> I said, what time is it? <laughs> and then he's just like, la, 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 the bomb just went off. Yeah, the, the most suspicious person yeah. in the room <laughs> when the nobody, bomb goes off. Nobody. And they're grabbing nobody their cares. drawers full of secrets and nobody tackles him. Nobody. They just went out. And then it, does it seem like he, he seems to have acquired the only gas mask in the building, and it's unclear where he got it from. Uh, he, brought he brought it brought with it. him. He, you saw it, you yeah. saw it in his hand. No, you saw it in his hand when he was checking his watch. They sh- they show it when he's checking his watch. Yeah. So he's got his Wait, gas he mask. he walks in with a gas mask and yes, asks exactly the-, the precise time, and then a bomb goes off, yes. and nobody thinks it might be. He might be the guy. But, but he's also the only guy who is not freaking out. Which right. to me is odd because even if you know a bomb is going to go off in a building, you're still in a building where a bomb has <laughs> gone off. That's not a great place to be. You should probably not be so cool and collected about it. You should. So I would freak out even if I knew it was coming. So this um, we talk about or people have talked about for many years that uh, Christopher Nolan always wants to be making his James Bond movie, right? Uh, like a lot of times he's been rumored as the next James Bond director. He made Inception. Everybody went, there's a James Bond movie. And then he made, last year he made Tenet, which has this exact scene in it. Much more, of course, much more extensive and and with some like hoodoo crazy technology involved in it. But basically the same thing. They do a heist where they bring, they're the only ones with the gas mask and this gas is released and they have, it's some sort of time locked vault. I can't even remember half that movie, but as soon as I watched these Me minutes, neither. I was like, Oh yeah, he totally took this, this like two minute scene, if that, 
and extended it to like a 15 minute set piece and tenant, you know, where there was also a gas mask and people that don't have the gas mask and so on. And they were the coolest guys in the building while everybody else is freaking out and all that stuff. I don't remember all the details of it, but it, it was, it struck me as, yeah, he really, Christopher Nolan really is always kind of making a James Bond movie, isn't he? He like loves to play in that milieu, you know. His, his movies remind me of Bond movies in two ways. I don't always know quite what's going on, and it all looks really expensive. Yeah, he definitely wants it to look expensive. Yeah. Well, you know, even though this movie was not exactly uh, expensive, we've got like four sets that they just run through yeah. that we kind of never see again. All that had to be built just for this little four minutes. You've got the consulate, you've got an a secondary area. You've got the third area where Tanya is with the lector. You've got a fourth area. It's the map. It's room a map the, room. Yeah. The staircases. That's like four sets. And the fifth one when they come when they pop up out of the when the out of the trap door. That's also a set. Yeah. So no expense spared in keeping the visual background changing for this you know little four minute piece. Well, I like when he goes to he goes to get Tanya, and there's a lot of oscilloscopes in that room. It yeah. seems to be the oscilloscope room. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing but oscilloscopes and the, uh, what's it called, the lector And the thing, lector. Which is, yeah. I guess, I, I'm still not sure I understand the plot. It's a decoding machine. Yeah. It's basically yeah, the a... Enigma, which is oh, what, okay. the, what was the encoding device from World War II, but it's a, a version of that. And there's only, the there's only size. one of them, and... There's no, no other there's way several. to... They imply there's several, and they just want to get one. They just never were able to get any of them. But how hard is it to figure out how to make one? Well, on top of that, how hard is it to get into a consulate? I mean, it's kind of odd. We're talking about a consulate here, not the not the headquarters of the Russian you know, intelligence or anything. This is the Russian consulate. They have one of them in there. They have a war room, apparently. So that map room just implies to me that some plans go down and they're like, wait, what's going on in this consulate? I never thought of consulates as being a place where these strategic things are happening or that something so valuable would just be held. Like, how hard was it to just go get this thing with a with a gun? Like, walk yeah. in with a mask and a gun and go take it. Oscilloscopes and, one, and only one other person, one person there supposedly guarding. What is she even necessary? Like... Other than to just find out that it's there, is that all, what Mitch? What information did they get from her that they needed here? It wasn't a very well protected thing, no, right? She just was going to be the girl with the lector. She's in charge of it, and so he's going to go get it from her. She's he's got to knock out one guard, played by Bob Simmons yet again yeah. in a red wig <laughs> this time. Um, knocks out one guard, and then she's there, and she's going to hand it over to him. But he, there's a lot of holes. I mean, this movie's oh, yeah. it's pretty. Fl- I mean. Story's pretty. Come on, it's pretty flimsy. Yeah, what it's about? But it's you know it's like you know again it, it's so well done that you kind of don't care. But you do notice. I mean you know if, if you just think about it for half a minute, there's so many scenes yeah. in this movie. Where you're like that. Well yeah 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 yeah. And then it's like well this is clearly a trap. And it's like okay it's a trap, which I guess is one more reason why we're going to do it on the 14th and the 13th instead of the 14th because they're going to trap me. But yeah he they, they they get away with a lot just by saying well uh, you know it's a double. It's a double trap, and they're trying to get 007. You know? but yeah, al- yeah, yeah. It's also not really a trap, considering... I mean, if it was a trap, they would have just been waiting. I don't get it. Like, right. what's the trap? They got a guy right. following yeah. him around the whole time, and he ends up being the one that becomes the problem. So that's not really well, a trap. He thinks it's a trap. He thinks it's a trap, but it's not. It's a different thing. That Spectre's, you know, Spectre's got it. They're uh, playing the long game. We'll right? fool him. We'll Russians. make him think it's trap and then not we'll have trap. Think it's trap, uh-huh. but it's not. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> why, why even trick him into thinking it's a trap? <laughs> I don't get it. It's Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's completely it's, crazy. It's, it's, he seems kind of dumb in this movie. Like he's not sure. <laughs> he's walking into these traps, and it seems like his only sort of insurance that he has is like, well, you know, it's a woman, and once I once I take her to bed, she'll she'll be on my side. Well, or or that he just simply wants to have sex. I mean, there is a lot of just like, oh, sure, I'll you know, like I guess she's pretty, and I'll guess I'll do this because what's the worst that could happen? I get to have sex. You know, there's that kind of thing. I, you know, he just was like, eh, what, you know, they were like, eh, we'll get this device. We know it's a trap. We'll get this device. And eh, I'll get to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it was pretty shocking. I mean, this movie is pretty shocking. And as far as the depiction of women, it's, it's, you know, that's far worse than I remembered it as, you know, um, I mean, these. No, 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 no. You, You know, I mean, you've been through it. I've, you've been through all the scenes already. These, you know, women who are. 
um, you know, already living in an oppressed culture, being like nymphomaniacs, just total nymphomaniacs. You know, they're just like on a leash, on, on a leash, but also just dying for the sex. You know, they're just dying for the sex. And it's just such a weird, con- uncomfortable so weird. contradiction. It's not in this in this minute, but the whole, you know, the whole, um, you know, gypsy camp scene with the, yeah. the women fighting over the, oh, God. And the woman in the orange dress. Cringing. is Yeah. Yeah, all of the, you know, all the women are just on a leash and, but also just like, yes, please let me have some more sex. Now, I want to bring up, go ahead. Before you go on, what I want, want to say is I don't like James Bond's tone that he takes on you <laughs> as they're escaping from the building because he keeps giving her these, like, a, he takes this authoritative parental tone with her. He's like, come on, quickly, keep your head down. Let's get back inside. He's giving you these little notes. That's what bothered like he's you. Her that's boss what bothered or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what bothered you. It's subtle. It's subtle. I, I like think it. he's trying to keep. I don't yeah, like it when trying someone to keep her safe. To me. Uh, I don't like I don't it. I think that's spy stuff. I think that's spy stuff. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Be careful. No, Come on. He's let's talking go. to her like she's a kid. Come mm. on. It's, I'm more like upset about the. It's a hell of a time to be superstitious line. That that that's what bothered me. Well, that's bad too. That's like him again. He's taking this authoritative, almost parental tone. He's being very condescending with her. I, it's her reaction to everything in these minutes that's troubling to me. Not troubling. I mean, it's not really troubling. It's just like uh, head shaking, like really, like oh, oh, uh, oh! I thought you were coming on the th- third. Uh, uh. And then in the train, you know, everywhere she's going, she's like, oh no. Uh. And then when he gives her some lingerie, it's like <laughs> so over the top. Oh, but I have. Oh, but well, I, here's oh. all right. I have, but I have I have nothing to wear. Oh, here's a flimsy nightgown. You can wear this. And everything <laughs> in that suitcase seems to be flimsy nightgowns. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. Susan, what what did what did you have? I have a fan theory. I have a fan theory. Okay, I'm gonna just lay it on you. I love doing this. So, um, my theory is she was faking this from to the last scene of this movie. The last scene of this movie. The beautiful conclusion. The oh, the audience is so happy because they're together. Faking it up. She had to. She was surviving. Yeah. Up. I mean, and it's, when this movie is over, she's getting the fuck out of there and starting her life over and just being like, I never yep. want to see this person again. She could have been yep. disgusted with him this whole time. What if That's every? My theory. That's my theory. What if every Bond woman is doing that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This Everyone. is what you have to do if you're a female spy. <laughs> Matahari, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why so do you think that they're never good. back for the next movie? Everybody thinks it's all Bond <laughs> yeah, got tired exactly? of they all dump his ass. <laughs> He's like, Why did this why did why did Tanya never call me back? <laughs> I like this yeah, idea well, of I, a lovelorn yeah. bond. The, I think that uh one of our guests, uh Monica Germana points that out that like yeah. that, that if you look at her clothes in that last scene, it's like She's dressed totally differently. She is moving out. She, you know, she yeah. is not. She's playing this with a very clear agenda. She's very excited. We're on our way to yeah. England. She's Her life like, was threatened. She got forced into this. Out. She was forced into this. That was very clear. They were like, we're going to blow your head off if you don't do right. this. She was like, I, I will obey. I mean, that's what a lot of us would do, right? Like, you could either right. get your head blown off True. or you just fucking, you know, go along with every single thing till you can get yourself into a safe place. And, th- and that's what she did, I think. That's, yep. Yeah, I really do. I, I think that there are enough little clues when you look for it like that, that that becomes maybe even more than a fan theory. I mean, yeah. I wish it were bigger. There's no yeah. doubt I, I would have kind of liked it to have been underlined a little bit more mm-hmm. because he's clearly using her. I think the fact that he lies to her about the, the day of the mission says, I don't trust her. Right. You know, I'm just we're just playing this game. And so she should be she's playing the same game as he is. Right. Yeah. We want to mention the rats. I want to mention the rats. Yeah. But before we get there, I want to mention just one g- goofy, geeky production design thing. Oh. when We're talking about these sets that this is or this is an echo of Dr. No, where you've got him running against the crowd. Everybody else is trying to get out. If you remember the Dr. No, this is what happens at the end, right? He's yeah, trying yeah. to get to the girl while everybody's running out. So we're making the same movie again. And I just think it's really interesting when he goes into the one room, there's a, a smoked glass perspex that he disappears behind. It's like a divider in the room. And, and it's the same visual idea as in Dr. No. He's, he's always disappearing behind these semi-translucent screens. And it gives a sense that the, the place is way bigger than it really is. So they're kind of forcing the perspective of the room. So I'm just saying we're still in a James Bond movie. It's a different production designer, same art director. Yeah, didn't, um, didn't have Ken Adam for this. No, it didn't. But Sid Kane, who built a lot of the sets from Dr. No, is, is running the show and has a very clear, he's, he is, he ain't Ken Adam, but he's, 
He's really great. Yeah, so he knew to he knew to keep it consistent. He knew how to keep it consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when so escaping, he built yeah. he was building all those interior sets back at Pinewood when Adam was off in Jamaica and Doctor No. So, I just I just think it's interesting how like this is not the garish purple, crazy '60s colors. It's everything is more muted, but it's still it's still a James Bond movie in in certain ways. You know. Yeah, some of these underground. Uh, sets. I was wondering, is that a set or a location? Because I couldn't. That's a location with the was. stairs that they're going up. That's yeah, that, yeah. that's for real. Yeah, that was so beautiful. It was really what, beautiful. That, what's that? Well, they're in that area with the, with the giant columns. Uh, yeah. That, that's that's a, that's the location. Mm -hmm. That's a location. Yeah, you can go there. So it's a museum now in Istanbul. In Istanbul. Wow. Now that's yeah. interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. And I, I do want to. Yeah. So so on. rats, rats, rats. I did want to mention. Uh, the rats, because there's this thing where they're escaping, and you see there's a swarm of of rats uh, and uh, Turkish rats, and it reminded me of the old saying, uh, swarm of rats at night, Turkish delight, uh, swarm of rats at dawn, time for this Turkish to be gone. You know that saying? Yeah. I think oh, so. Everybody knows Definitely. that saying. It's an exterminator yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. We were all thinking so, it. We, just, we were just waiting for you're you all think, I'm just saying what you're all thinking. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first one to point this out, but... Um, I just mentioned it that this movie has, it has Sean Connery, it has a tunnel full of rats, it has a bunch of scenes in Venice. It's hard mm -hmm. not to think about another movie. Yep. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Yep. I'm talking, of course, about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I thought the same thing. And the the reason this movie reminds me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind is because it takes place in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Turkey. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite um, scene in Close Encounters. Okay, so have we talked about the fact that um, you watch Jaws on the 4th of July, and you there are various movies that are argued about whether or not they're Christmas movies, but Thanksgiving movie, Close Encounters. you got to watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind on Thanksgiving because he yells turkey, there's mashed potatoes in it. Wow. It's a Thanksgiving movie. You're right. Mashed potatoes and somebody saying turkey. Equals Thanksgiving movie. Uh, good call. That's it. I'm glad he got that out because I did. I did an episode on the projection being the back close counter. He's like, "Do this, do this." Thanksgiving turn. It's a Thanksgiving movie. I was like, "Yeah, Joe." You could probably reach. For <laughs> now you saw how, how the sausage is made. You don't have to do that. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really think you could probably watch it again and and reach really far for a third reference, and then you've sold it. I think you got to have that third beat. There's got to be. You know, yeah, you got to. Really there's crazy. probably there's... a cranberry in there somewhere. A yeah. pumpkin. Oh no, there is no. no. There is a third reference because he asks for the directions to cornbread. That's right. He does. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. right, right. I've never had cornbread on Thanksgiving, but uh, cornbread, <laughs> mashed potatoes, and turkey. I want to point out that I love the jaunty music that goes along with this whole scene with the rats and all that yeah, stuff. There's like a nice, know. nice jaunty theme. Yeah, it's really cool. The fully realized 007. Yeah, the f yeah, it's. It's got that horn part to it that you start yeah, to get as it goes longer. And I'm melody line. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know if any of you uh, are, grew up with this, but it sounds exactly like NFL films music, like the old 60s era uh, Bart Starr and the Frozen Tundra. It sounds exactly yeah. like that music <laughs> that plays underneath those, those old NFL films. And I grew up with those, and I appreciate that. It's kind of like a distant sounding horn, like they recorded it from another room or something. Uh -huh. But uh, anyway, yeah, I love this. I love this theme. I w I'm sad they don't use it more because it, it gets used three or four times with Connery and once I think with Roger Moore, and mm -hmm. and that was in Moonraker, and they haven't used it again. But even as a kid watching this scene, I kind of I was suspicious about these two rats, uh, these shots, two shots of rats running toward the camera. A lot of rats, no doubt about that. But there's no actors anywhere near them, right? Nope. They, 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 they went off to Spain and they shot all this rat stuff and spent all this money on it. But uh, you don't get a I lot mean, for it. I mean, you don't even have like d extras with their feet like jumping up and down that we could pre pretend like it was our heroes. It they wasn't just turn, really. They just turn around. It's, they just like, oh, yeah, well, let's go the other way. It's yeah. funny because uh, you were clearly, of course, Joe, referring to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Right. Actually, when you were. Which I mentioned it, Mitch. I can't remember why I mentioned, but I have already mentioned the rats, Sean Connery, close or Last yeah. Crusade thing. 
But it's funny because in the movie, you know, uh, Ford says, or Indiana Jones says, oh, he's scared to death of rats. He hates me. He never would have come through. And it sort of makes this into a joke because you see rats and he just goes, okay, this way. <laughs> he just, yeah. There's no fanfare about it. He's just like, definitely not going that way. And he turns around. It's like, oh, well, he's right. He was never going to get past the rats, I guess. Yeah. But I see more and more as I watch these James Bond films, how Indiana Jones is really sort of the spiritual successor to that and oh, i never sure. real i never knew it before because i wasn't that into james bond but i had seen all the indie movies many times and i realized now oh it's just spielberg making james bond movies and all all of the so many of the elements are there like the you know the femme fatale who may or may not be on who switches sides or maybe you know uh, on the other side and then there's the uh the local ally like here he's got harimbe uh, who's the local ally and they even had established that as a trope in the mm-hmm. in Doctor No, as in the previous film, mm-hmm. he had the the local ally, and I really like Harimbe in this one because he, unlike sometimes he, he doesn't turn out to be secretly double crossing James Bond. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, you, you think sure he's going to? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. He he doesn't turn out to be Lando Calrissian, and uh, when I years years ago I went with a former girlfriend of mine to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, in a theater. It was re-released, I think, for the 25th anniversary, and she had never seen it before. And all through the movie, she was so sure that Sala was going to double-cross Indy, because she was <laughs> so used to the idea that the, you know, the, the local ally turns out to be bad secretly, you know. So I, yeah. I like I like Harim Bey, because he's, he's true blue to the end. So. He is. He is. Yeah. Yeah, Spielberg had said to Lucas he wanted to do a James Bond movie, like straight up. He was yeah, gonna, yeah. he was going to angle for one, and and Lucas said, "I think I got something better," and that was supposedly how they began talking about his idea of Indiana Jones. Yeah, I never really I never really noticed that that before. I, I never really considered it before. I mean, I kind of I guess I was kind of aware of it yeah. um, that it was basically James Bond, but now I'm looking at very specific tropes that recur. Well, I watched last night uh, That Man from Rio because uh, Belmondo died not long ago, and I thought I'd watch a Belmondo movie. And apparently it also was a big inspiration for Raiders, that, that Spielberg... And when you get when you start watching it and you realize they're chasing after idols and there's a big adventure in jungles and there's big set pieces, you can kind of start to see that as well. Oh, see, I never, I've never seen that one. That's interesting. I should look that up. I think I've seen... Does Belmondo do a bunch of crazy stunts in that one? Tons of crazy stunts. Yeah, he was yeah. he was the proto Tom Cruise. Uh, the, I mean, the crazy stunts in the big set piece in Brasilia on the top of a bunch of buildings actually made got me in the stomach. I mean, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh boy, that they're really he's really up there. And yeah, there's no lines. You know, I don't know where the catcher is if it's around because you can't you can't see where they'd be hiding it. John Paul Belmondo, he was kind of crazy. Like it really does yeah. remind me of Tom Cruise. And I think if if at the time they had the ability to do some of the things they can do now he probably would have done them it's some of the stunts i've seen him do i'm like he does he falls down he slides down that that mountain you know that stunt i don't know what movie it's from but he slides down that mountain that is um uh you know all the rocks are following him down and he goes all the way down the mountain by himself and they get to the bottom and it's clearly him he gets back up on his feet and all these boulders are going beside him i'm like how did they let him do that it's completely insane crazy i saw anyway, that one I, out of context after he died i saw that yeah. that clip online and was just i can't believe that. it was a, yeah, it like, was a different time it was a different time well i mean but tom cruise do it right now so it isn't totally different i mean the things tom cruise are doing are even crazier probably a little more controlled but crazier in a way. Yeah, there were there were only like two stunts in all of um that man from Rio that I was like, there's just no way that's there's no way that's not that's right. Belmondo. But most of the time it was clearly him and they made sure you could see that it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well there is a there is a stunt man going up the stairs, I think, for Pedro Amandara's in this shot yeah. uh, when they it's be- really beautifully camouflaged. There's a cut front as they pass camera and it cuts to a slightly wider shot and and it's just a beautifully elegant edit. It's almost invisible. It's not a trick edit. It is a different shot, but it is done with such ease. And then if you kind of look, it's like, yeah, that's probably not Pedro making it up those stairs because he was in pretty rough shape. He was sick. Yeah. yeah, apparently he died. He died before the movie was was uh, yeah. completed or yeah. released or something. Yeah, I, um, I like him. I never. I don't think I've ever seen him before in a movie, and I really liked him a lot in this film. Yeah, he's great. Lots of charisma. He does. He makes an acting choice that I don't know if we brought it up, but he does it a few times in this movie. He does it maybe most notably in in this uh, in these minutes because 
he's in close up at the time, or at least he's in the foreground of a two shot uh, where he's, he likes to do things. He likes to be doing something during a, a dialogue scene and concentrate on the thing he's doing and also execute the dialogue wherein he looks like the coolest dude. He looks like this is all casual to him and no big deal. It's like, oh, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to roll a cigarette while we're talking. I'm going to be looking at the cigarette, concentrating on that, but I'm totally hundred percent connected with the conversation too. And I'm competent and this is going to get done and you can trust me. And it's, it's, he does it multiple times throughout the movie. And it, first I'm like, is he being dismissive of him? Is he being too cool? But it's actually not. It's actually, he's just cool. He's just been through it all already. And uh, what is that little, what it looks like a, one of those old bubblegum cigar things that he has. He's this little weird little yellow tube. What is the cigarette holder? Really? Yeah. Never seen anything like that. One before. of the big cigarette holders. I know they're heavy too. That's that's like I can understand the ones that look like a car antenna, you know, that are really light. But man, those big ones, you've got to be yeah. chomping down on that if you're not going to be holding it. I would use like a Phyllis Diller if I had the choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would use one of those. I would use a Burgess Meredith. But there's lots of nice, nice little detail in this movie, like just that one scene in our segment where. That woman who's kind of in browns and beiges walks through the train. I mean, I'm a little ahead of where we are now, mm -hmm. but, you know, just for no reason. They just have her and they just look at her like she's significant and there's no reason for it. But I love those details. You don't see, I don't know, it seems to me you don't see people thinking of putting those little things in nowadays as much as I'm, they did back then. I mean, are we not yeah, supposed I, to just momentarily suspect, you know, this is everybody's suspicious, not even necessarily specifically her. It's just like everybody's yeah. suspicious on this train. And it establishes a certain amount of tension about yeah, the closed space. Just tension. And, That's all it is. Yeah. Just a little tension. Yeah. Yeah. In a modern movie, that would pay off. She would turn around and have a machine gun or something. <laughs> yeah. That's what we meant. Yeah. Here's here's one detail that I noticed when they pop up out of that trap door mm -hmm. and they're making the, right. their escape in this hidden spy kiosk, which is a little bit like Get Smart or something. But I. I kind of expected the guy running the kiosk to reach down and help help him up, and he doesn't. It's like Karim comes up, he turns around, he reaches back down to help Tanya up, and Bond brings up the rear. And I just think it's an interesting, like, dynamic of who's helping who. Once again, Bond, I think, I don't know whether Karim's got the lector. Maybe Bond still got the lector, and he's holding on to that, and he cares more about that than the girl because Karim very elegantly helps Tanya out of that kiosk, which is a set. There's some rear projection going on in the background that looks pretty convincing. Hmm. And then we jump outside to where there's this big crowd, which are apparently most of them being distracted by a guy hanging off the building up the street because yeah. the crowds were so rough that they just could they were they were everywhere and they needed to get people out of the way. And so I guess the stunt crew went down and pulled a stunt at the other end of the street. <laughs> really? Everybody said, oh, my God, there's a guy hanging off the building. And the crowd cleared out enough that they could shoot this one shot of them running. <laughs> into the trap. Wow, what a strange what a I've never heard of that tactic. People in Istanbul were not they didn't see a movie set that often. It was a big deal. Yeah. I'm guessing, was, I think, maybe. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They had yeah. they had very enthusiastic crowds watching them shoot all through this. And then at that point we get to the train station where I just want to talk for a minute about these six shots that come up that all we're doing is getting people onto the train, but it is done with such elegance and economy. You know, the, the three of them run past the camera. Tanya stops. Then we cut to a shot of her looking. We, we, we see Bond turn around. He, he in an easy pan, he walks back over to her and he's like, what's going on? And she says, there's a guy watching me. We cut to the shot of the guy watching him. And then back to them as they go to the train. And then the camera goes to where the guys who are watching them. And we see their point of view of the three of them getting onto the train. One of them leaves, runs to the train, and then it all ends with a zoom, a real old, yeah. really new fashion at that, that point. I noticed that too. It's a really nice, beautifully long, and it ends with it ends with a zoom that goes right into um, where he, and Quint looks just like, uh, God help us, Mike Pence, he looks just like Mike Pence, doesn't he? He looks <laughs> exactly like Mike Pence. But yeah, it's a little chilling. That zoom is very late sixties in style. Like you get that a lot with, um, like or even early seventies, like Nicholas Rogue and and uh, Richard Lester use those shots, like in in you know Petulia movies like that. That to me, those are earmarks, and a lot of times they would do it with some sort of a um, rack focus involved too. But it really reminds me of like a later sixties filmmaking technique. I don't know. Yeah, it's a nice fresh 
something different for a James Bond movie. Hey, did Paul L. Smith ever play a thug in a Bond movie? Can't even think of who that is. Who is Paul L. Smith? Bluto from Popeye. Oh, no, I don't think so. And wait, uh, and from Smith? Midnight Express, and uh, he was a, you know, he looks he, like he could. Yeah. Oh wait, from Midnight Express, is he yeah. the guard? Yeah. Oh, so is he? He's Beast Raban in Dune. Yeah, as he's well, Beast right? Raban. That's right. I was like, wait a minute, I know who that is. I just watched an interview with him the other day where he was talking so about. We just about, talked about him in the in-laws. Yeah. Oh, was right. he in that too? He's in the in-laws. He's, he's placed a thug. Thug, thug with a gun. In <laughs> okay. Cool. He was chasing was, Alan Arkin through the streets of New York. I saw a whole interview with him the other day on the Dune, the new Dune Blu-ray that they just put out, and what it was like to work with David Lynch, and he just loved it, but also was like, it's one of the weirdest things I've ever... Some of the things he had me do were some of the weirdest things I've ever had to do in a movie, but... Um, no, I could see that. I could see that. He, I he was see him, like, maybe in the, in the 80s, some of the, some of the later 80s Bond movies. Yeah, have been good. probably good as a sort of a, you know, a dialogue-free thug role. You know, mm-hmm. but it's sort of what Robert Shaw is doing here. At least at this yeah. point in the movie, he's the silent thug. He's yeah, it's a sort weird, of like the scary enforcer. It's a weird role for Robert Shaw, who's so incredibly talented and uh, you know eloquent. And, but you kind of see as the movie goes on, either he's kind of losing the character or he's developing the character, depending on how you look at it. Where he seems to smart, you know, he seems a little sharper. And all that, you know, you definitely, you, you know, it almost feels like a completely different person by the end of the movie. I don't know if that's. I'm trying to decide if that's kind of a flaw or if it's a, what it's supposed to be doing. For a future segment, he does speak, um, and I was very, very happy when he when he does actually have dialogue. I mean, he's yeah. far far and away my favorite thing about this film. Yeah, yeah. I miss the days when you could still climb onto a train after it starts moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They don't really let you do that now. I learned I learned the hard way on the New York City subway. You're not allowed to do that anymore. They don't let you. Well, you know, it, that's funny because it does bring up this question when they're when they have their little planning session that I know the conductor, he's going to stop the train at the Bulgarian frontier <laughs> and there's going to be a car waiting for us. And then we're going to get that car, and it's going to take us to an airstrip, and we're going to fly in a charter, supposedly going to Athens, but it's really going to go to England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like you kind of wonder, why did they have to get on a train in the first place then? Right. There's so much of that. Yeah, there's so much of that in this movie. Aaron Bay says, um, me and this conductor have done business before. Does that mean he rode the train? He's been on the Karen Bay's been on the train before. Oh, yeah. What, what, what other business could yeah. you have with the yeah. train? Conductor? Wait. It, well, spy stuff. Spy stuff. I just figured it out. He's got he's got to deal with this conductor. He's like, hey, if you're helping people escape, make sure they come to the train. Like that's part of our deal. I'll do anything you want. Just give me some business. That's why they get on the train. Otherwise, they could have just taken a car out of town. But Karen Bay's got his obligations to. Yes, I've been on this. Me and this conductor <laughs> well, have been on this business conductor. before. So, yeah, I've ri- I've ridden the. The L train before. That's all that means. Later, they say to one of the cabin people, the you know, like the stewards or whatever, um, you'll be rewarded for keeping your mouth shut, right? So it, it, that's, you know, that's kind of the, that's the culture of the train, <laughs> right? I think that's what's implied there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll be rewarded. Because I was thinking, like, who's going to reward him? Like, who's going to know that this guy kept his mouth shut? And it's like, oh, well, that now that you're saying all of that, it makes sense. You know, it makes a little more sense. Things were things were different on the Bulgarian <laughs> frontier. <laughs> Whatever yeah, that apparently. means. What, is, what does that mean? <laughs> the There's no checkpoints. I don't know. It's, I, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Does that I mean? Is that the border? Is that what? It's the frontier. Don't ask frontier. questions. The Bulgarian yeah. frontier. Okay. So, Susan, without the fan theory that she's running her own operation here and that she's doing everything she can to get the hell out of Dodge, what else are we to make with of this this reaction to this nightgown? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it, you know, so removing the fan theory, it's that a man wrote this movie. <laughs> it was men who produced it, directed it, wrote it, wrote the original book. And yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like a feminazi because, you know, I am. But, you, you know, I don't mean to be like so. But it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's just male fantasy stuff. This is pure male fantasy. You know, it's all that's what Bond was. He was a, he was a male fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I don't know how to break it to you guys. 
But yeah, I think so. I think so. That's my that's my that's my theory. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. But what would it what would it have been like, Susan, if you went to see this movie? You're living back then, and yeah. you go see this movie mm-hmm. with it's your miserable like, husband. We've got it with your miserable husband, your and I've got to tolerate this stupid you found male a sitter I mean, for your bratty, horrible kids who you hate. Yeah, so I'm just going to look at Sean Connery and Robert Shaw, and that's going to be my um and the travelogue stuff, and that's what I'm going to get out of this movie. No, no, I mean, you know, I, you know, I mean, the romance of it. See, I mean, you could reframe this movie. I was thinking that actually, you could reframe this movie completely in a way that's completely suitable, where this female spy, you could make her have actually, she was having fun. You know, you could frame it that way if you wanted to. Um, it's just what they yeah. did with this movie didn't work that way, but you could do it that way. There is a way to frame this. You could, I mean, and hopefully, like you know, Phoebe. Um, Waller Bridges is going to do that where you can make the female spy actually, you know, just as in, interested in what she's doing and reacting to it and being part of it um, in a fulfilling way, uh, you know, as opposed to being a complete and total. Everybody's a sex. You know, you want everybody to be a sex object. Um, it's just there's, <laughs> it's just hard to, you know, there's yeah. just a, there's just a lot of little things in this that angle it the wrong way you know what i mean yeah. like where it's just way 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 angled way too far in one direction but i mean yeah that that gown is gorgeous i love that gown i mean it, and i hate those old those old flouncy you know s- s- plastic gowns but that one it is really gorgeous and it's fun to look at it she's fun to look at she's gorgeous um you know i i actually you know it's amazing how much i don't mind that she's dubbed and you know th- th- somehow i don't know they almost get away with it, it, it but well, but we're uh, actually now that we're at this point where we have her, um, you know, we, we, we're actually ahead of ourselves. Uh, just before the nightgown scene is the passport scene where they're giving right. them the passport. Let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting because I love that she's she's actually she's obviously saying some stuff that they just didn't over, they just didn't replace the dialogue. Did you notice her oh, mouth I, is moving? I got the I got the idea that she was just reading it, like she's well, going oh, she? la 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 because she's reading details that are on the passport. I was okay. thinking, I my I was thinking, because she's mouthing to herself after she says, Caroline, I like that name. And yeah. then the next thing she says is, do we have children? Or I couldn't quite make out what she says. Do we have children? She's, yeah, she says, so, we have a, yeah. can't we have a 12-year-old son or something like but that? But in between yeah. that, she she's said moving 12 around. children. 12 I always children? thought she said, no, it's 12 children? We have one son. Yeah. I would like to hire a lip reader to find out if that's what she was actually saying. Yeah, that's what we need to do. Yes. Now, Daniela Bianchi, who, as long as we're talking about her, and yeah, all of her, her dialogue, name. all of her dialogue in this film was dubbed because right. her Italian accent was so great that he, she was she was incomprehensible. Um, and interestingly, she was she was 21 years old, youngest uh, youngest uh, Bond girl ever, I guess, I believe, yeah. uh, to this date. Um, yep. I'm, which surprises me. I'm so shocked there wasn't a 19 year old Bond girl. <laughs> When, you know, yeah, like a 70 year old Bond girl when when Roger Moore was 82, you know, uh, <laughs> probably. But the, there's also a re- really strangely worded bit of IMDb trivia, which said director Terrence Young disliked Daniela Bianchi's legs. Oh, which is, man. Didn't like the I mean, way she walked. But it's one they, thing. They doubled could, her. Yeah, but you could say like. He didn't think she had nice legs, but it's weird to say he disliked her legs. <laughs> like he had a personal beef with her legs. Like they owed her, they owed him money or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like, I like uh, Daniela like just fine, half. but I, her upper I don't. Half is fine. Yeah, I don't get along with her legs at all. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just yeah. Uh, me and her legs. If we see each other, we just go the other way. Go I just, I way. can't. Please don't sit me next to her legs at a dinner party. It is amazing, though, how well her voice works. I don't know why. It's a great voice. Well, I didn't realize she was dubbed. I couldn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the best dubbings. Like you know, you can tell a little. You can tell here and there, but it, it's a really great voice. And I don't know somehow it, 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 it works. Yeah, it's it, pretty good. It's a little breathier here. It's a little bit more detached here when she's going. No, James, James, oh. And it's like really stands out to me more like with those lines, but also because those lines are so cringy to begin with. And it's like, wait, how many Bond movies? Is there a Bond movie where, at least in the Connery era, where there isn't a woman who's breathily, like, gratefully saying, oh, James, James. Yeah, I wondered if this was like the first one where it's like like, this whole. Yeah. New trope. uh, New thing uh, that we have to mark off the list is someone, woman has to go, James, at some point. In the movie, oh, yeah, that's a trope, right? That's so, absolutely a trope. But if you're yes. doing a parody of James Bond, you have to put that in. There. You have to have the oh James. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. here's another trope question. So when they, after she puts that, is going to put on the beautiful nightgown and everything, they cut to this shot of the train with this big tower, phallic tower in the middle of the shot. It's sort of the inverse of the Hitchcock train going into the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And then we come back and she's got the nightgown on and she snuggles up next to him as he's reading his paper. So this movie has never shied away from showing two people in bed together. That's one of the things that made it so controversial and exciting at the time. So are they just playing with that? Are we, are we to assume they had, they had quick sex and then now they're now, what are we supposed to assume? What is this transitional shot with the tower and the train? I'm, I'm shocked that you mean? have, that you would ask. Okay. It's just the, there's just no checking. evidence. Like he's still wearing his clothes, still shirt tucked in, still you know. Her hair so is beautiful. It just seems like she went and got the the nightgown on, but uh, in a chaste fashion because she went looks, to the other room. Her hair looks fabulous. Yeah, it, it looks know. way better than it would be if she just had sex. If they just had sex, okay. Just checking. I don't know. About just that. wondering what they're I playing think, around with. I mean, we have to assume Bond is very efficient. Very efficient at this. <laughs> mm-hmm. He can do it without taking his clothes off or messing mm-hmm. up her hair. It is interesting, though. In in our segment, he both puts a collar on her, and in that scene, he puts his arm around her neck, almost like he's about to strangle her. Now, again, I know I'm just everybody's rolling their eyes at me for being so, but you know, it is. It's there's something a little, you know, well, I just you could see that as a little bit. It's there's something a little. I said there's about casual it. misogyny in this movie. I'm not. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I'm not rolling my eyes at all. This is yeah, absolutely she, right. She whirls onto the settee with him, and he, besides putting his arm around her neck, is still busy reading the paper more than he is yeah. taking in her. And that, yeah. I thought, and is... And it's really, like, the way he does it, it's very... It, it just, it's not affectionate. It's very, like, the whole, whole, you know, like, the way you would do it if you were going to really yank someone's neck up and try to choke them. You know, it, it really... There's something about it. Like, the body language is very strange. And then, like mm-hmm. I said, he had just put this collar on her... You know, which of course she had at the beginning, but I don't know. It's just it's a little. Yeah, but why has he got the choker? Yeah, why doesn't she have it? It was from their last sex act, I guess, or when you know the first sex act they had. But Mm -hmm. yeah, yep. So, and I don't like those. I don't like anyone wearing those. I don't know why. It's always a, uh, it's problematic for me. Oh wow, the nineties must looks... have been rough for you. Yeah, really. <laughs> she looks yeah, beautiful. Like the it. woman wearing the, like the, the the ribbon around the neck. It just it reminds me of the old, the Disney haunted mansion record. And I always think she's going to take it off and her head's going to fall off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I told you not to take it off. Or I don't know how that went. That record scared me uh, shitless. But it is a trope, right? Cut to the train. I mean, the fact that time passed tells you everything. It could go either way. I mean, you know, you I can't work. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't but whenever you see a parody hand. of James Bond, that's in there. You know? Yeah. That's in there yeah. where the, you know, the camera sort of pans away from them on the bed and shows shows right. you know the uh, the water fountain or something like that or you know the t- the, tea, the tea kettle whistling <laughs> whatever so you know what what is interesting about this casual um misogyny casual racism all these things that we find in these early 60s bond movies uh even richard maybaum the writer would cop to the fact that at some point this had to change because female audiences that at some point had kind of had enough and this is ridiculous and so the movies start to evolve to shift you know and i just think it's really interesting that there's a lot of talk right now about um is james bond going to become woke in the next bond movies and some of this stuff is really ugly if you if you're out in the in the fan world of websites and fan sites and all this stuff and it's just odd to me because these movies have always They've always attempted to adjust to where the times are. At a certain was, point, they started to change. I was going to say that. For 1963, well, this movie was woke. Well, that's not... Well, but, you know, but in, in a way, in the yeah, 70s the fact that it was... James but... Bond does not immediately kill everyone who's foreign makes it woke for the for the era. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I think in the in the for when you look at the like comedies, especially comedies in the seventies and eighties and how, you know, they were just ripping women's clothes off. I mean, it was just you know, I sometimes I just I look at a movie and I just can't believe what I'm seeing, you know, from the seventies and the eighties. And um when you think about the level of that, certainly James Bond was progressed past that by then. You know, certainly the Bond girls were much stronger you know, I mean, I'm not a James Bond expert myself as much as you guys are, but it just seems to me certainly you had much stronger female characters. And it was 
a little more of a mutual, you know, the, the, the romance was a lot much more mutual already in the in the 70s and 80s, right? I mean, right. so I think it's probably a more actually, you know, considering that it helped launch, maybe it helped launch some of this sexism and but that stuff got much worse in the 60s and then and then really especially like I said in comedy, it got really just ugly ugly ugly, you know, in the 70s and the 80s and a little bit in the 90s. So I just was just going to make that point that I do think that these Bond movies will eventually start to catch up with the times and and will try to adjust. Certainly when the whole AIDS thing happened, Bond was no longer, you know, sleeping with multiple partners over the course of a James Bond movie. You got a much more monogamous James Bond in those in those years. So. Yeah. And, and again, like even the, the girls just had more personality. I mean, they didn't even try to give this woman uh, much. She she does OK. You know, she does OK. But, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, just in, in Dr. No, too, you know, it, they're just a little bit of a blank slate, uh, just a just a symbol. But they definitely developed full bodied personalities. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts as we get to the end of these minutes? Uh, no, just, um, hey, look for us. We're on YouTube. <laughs> Comedy on YouTube. You'll get more, even more obscure nugget weird stuff like <laughs> on our show. It's what we, we do on our show. We in comedy. We, love, we, we revel in comedy we love. Anyway, we're doing so much fun stuff like that. So just check us out. We're on YouTube and Patreon. And uh, we really want to thank you guys for having us on because we love you. We love your show and we love doing James Bond and we love always seeing your faces again. Thank you. Always great to have you guys. Yeah, and and to the listeners who can't see their faces, no, really get a load of these guys' faces <laughs> yes. if you can, because they're <laughs> I highly recommend them. There's some faces, boy. <laughs> Those are some faces. There's some. There's. All right. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this week on 007 by Seven. You can find us on Twitter at 007 by Seven Podcast and uh, or Alien Minute Pod if you still want to follow our old Alien Minute show. And uh, we have the Patreon. So we'll see you uh, next week.